right, guys, welcome back to 3M Affairs Podcast. Today we're talking about Tokyo Drifter by director Seijun Suzuki. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that out right away because... Josh has been practicing for like I've, 15, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I've been practicing. I wanted to be prepared, you know, with these with these directors and their names in, yeah. uh, in Japanese cinema. Um, 1966, the... I thought it was a fun film, but before we get into that, how are you guys doing? It is August, four and a half months since I worked <laughs> in this quarantine. <laughs> um, it's we're halfway through the year, isn't it crazy? Yeah, it's uh, yes, yeah. It's been a long quarantine. Um, I'm I'm back to working. I started working yesterday. Yeah, how is it? Where are you? What's what are you doing? I'm just bussing. Picked up a job bussing, so uh, it's been great so far. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to be out doing stuff and making money and, you know, being an adult. So that's good. Um, which, which, uh, where, where, where do you work? So in case any, any fans want to come uh, say hi, I'm, and uh, you I'm working on, at, on the job. <laughs> I'm working at Hemingway's in Toronto in Yorkville. It's a, uh, it's a great spot. Come Hemingway's. Come on oh, and, God. Uh, and drop by. That's a little, it's kind of a bleak, kind of a bleak name for a bar. You know, he killed himself, right? I don't. Because of alcoholism, know that it has to do with that. I don't know. It's it's a New Zealand bar. I mean, I people in New Zealand, I'm sure, have read. Yeah, Curtis I don't know if there's way. a. Yeah, I, I should look more into that. Uh, he was like one of the yeah, world's no, most um, notorious alcoholics. It's, I'm sure it's there's kind a of like bit. a. It's I don't know. It's a, it's a fun bar. It's in Yorkville in Toronto, which is like a, it's a very nice neighborhood. But pardon? What? No, we're good. We're really? good. Yeah, Sorry. We didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you got you. You kind of froze a little bit. Uh, but okay. Turned into a robot for a it's, second. This is what happens when we try and record at home in our home studio living rooms. <laughs> yeah, but I do like being um, a robot. Do you? So. You That's do fair. like? Uh, it'd be great, you know. To not have to worry about mortality. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like bars. Going back to the name Hemingway's, it's it's like when bars are named like shenanigans. You know, <laughs> it's very a little on the nose, and I feel like Hemingway's is a little bit. On the nose. I always, mm-hmm. I always liked Oscar Wilde in New York. That's a nice bar. We went there right yeah, after before one on one or after one on one. Oh, it was like right after our intro thing. I uh, if you are a uh, New York actor um, or LA, I think uh, I would highly, yes. yeah, they have offices. Highly involved. suggest going to check out one on one. Um, you have to audition to get in, or if you just graduated from an MFA program, you automatically get in. Um, but they have, uh, agents and casting director meetings and they're, uh, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. It's a really, really good resource and I would highly suggest it. And some of us who have just tried to audition for one-on-one who didn't, who forgot to, um, go into it right after grad school, sometimes you get a. Come back in three months. Email. <laughs> oh, really? Wait, and how how so, soon do you have to do it after graduation? I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's been it's been over a year. It's been over a year since because uh, I couldn't find the code. I couldn't find anything because I know Hannah, our friend Hannah, uh, does it, and she said that we got like a there was like a code or some sort of promo thing that we could use. Yeah. Say, hey, we went to the actor studio drama school and whatever, and couldn't find it. So I just on the whim was like, you know what? I'll just put a couple monologues up and. You know, a day later, I got that little email. So that's kind of the start of the, uh, you know, you hate auditioning, but everybody knows that auditioning is part of it and that you're going to get a lot of no's for one yes. And it's just kind of, you know, but then it's for something like one on one where you like you get it, you 
pay a small fee to, to become a member for life, I would I would assume. But you still have to pay to register for these classes yeah. and like these different yeah. casting directors and stuff. So something that's that's very much pay to play. I mm-hmm. don't understand like the real strict, you know, depending on obviously, you know, you had to have some sort of like potential for them to be like, oh, sure, come on in. But like during this whole quarantine thing, I figured it was like, you know, I was pretty happy with how the monologues went for I worked on them a lot. And then just kind of getting that. I'm just like, oh, shit. OK, cool. You know, it still kind of hurts, even though I'm I'm an adult and I, I understand the business. And, yeah. You know, no, that's never going to go away, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it hasn't for me. Yeah. I still get fucking bummed every time I don't hear back from I'm like that was really good. And then it yeah. Or because yeah. somebody with five million Instagram followers is like, I want to do it. <laughs> oh, it's fucking nuts. Well, and now it's like it's starting to ruin shows for me because I'll go out for stuff and then I'll be like, oh, man. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. There's like there are full like. Shows I will never watch yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because of bitterness. Well, it's not. It's not bitterness. It's just like I have a hard time now watching the show without thinking about like what you know I would have tried as the character and things like that. It just takes me off track. I can't get into it. You know. Oh, it's bitterness for me. I'm a bitter person, <laughs> but Brandon's a better person than me. Right. <laughs> so that's I mean, I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> I would say I'm not bitter. I just I just sit there and I watch these shows and I'm just sit there these you know these like little parts that people get cast for day players or whatever. And they're like the waiter or the bartender, whatever I'm sitting here going, you know, Oh, I like a, like, you know, we can, we could do that. Like, why the hell are we not doing that? It's like, Oh, cause we don't have, you know, representation or we have representation, but they, you know, however new they are or whatever the have you, but we watched this. Ryan and I was, were roped into watching the kissing booth too, with his 12 year old niece. Oh and, Joey King. Yeah, it is just not. It was interesting because it's based off a book, right? So it's on Netflix, and there's a lot more cursing than I thought would be in a movie like that. I mean, a lot more adult themes, which is like interesting in my opinion. But one of the lead actors was very much. Uh, I'm sure he's a young 28 year old, good looking guy in LA, probably a musician who has 500,000 followers. You know, not the best actor, but at the same time, it's just like I'm sure he was able to. You know, he had a, such a fan base that he brought all that with him, you know, to the movie. I definitely yeah. equate it to like it the matter. Disney Channel original movies. It, genu- you know? it genuinely at that uh. point doesn't matter if you're good. You know what I mean? And that's what's frustrating about it. But that's why you got to make your own stuff. And that is something that I valued about our education. Like they, they were really big on pushing you to like develop your own work and create your own path. And that's something that I, I took away very positively, even though I do yeah. wish sometimes that the other side of it happened a little easier well, it was also very <laughs> focused on the work which you know there could have been more stuff to help career-wise for sure but the fact now Absolutely. you know a year later the fact that it was so focused on the work and that's all you know we focused on uh i, I think is incredibly helpful i mean before i went to school and I, we talked about this before but before i went to school you know i was auditioning in toronto i'd been working for a while as an actor but every set I went on, every big audition I went on, I also knew that had I got the job, everybody would say exactly what Josh is saying right now. Because I didn't know mm-hmm. how to not just... They would have said you're really good looking. <laughs> they would have said that I wasn't <laughs> a good actor. 
because <laughs> I'm sorry, I I had to. No, I I, do, you know I totally I mean? know. What I, you I didn't mean. know how I think to that do that anything is, but yeah. scratch the surface, or more so, you know, Caleb, like you know, walk around kind of modeling as an actor and not really doing anything, you know, all mm-hmm. surface level. Obviously, school just like voguing and hitting yeah, your mark and, and yeah. like you know, going off of a uh, you I know. Mean, yeah. Also, I'm a little bit crazy, so you know, I let let some things fly in the beginning, mm-hmm. and that helped a lot. And but uh, you know what I mean? It's just it's there's a difference between when you can yeah. put in that many hours for three years. You know, you get your ten thousand hours or whatever. You you learn how long it takes to really build a character and for it to actually get into you. Um. Anyways, yeah. Sorry, just some thoughts. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, I think we're at, and it, the coronavirus does not help 100%. Like, it's just one of those things where you kind of get sucked into this, you know, you, you submit for auditions, you know, I submitted for a couple of short films and a feature, whatever, just, but like, also understanding type and knowing that, like, you know, when they say, you know, athletic build, I'm, they're meaning Michael Phelps and not me, although <laughs> I would say I, I am an athletic build. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of navigating that, but then realizing like the, the comfortable level of, um, being in a room with other people. And, you know, if you are comfortable with being around other actors yet, you know, and in New York, I would be a little bit in LA, I probably wouldn't be, you know, it's like, you see all these things with like the sports and everything like that, and it's not going well. And it's just kind of like, what do, so what do we do? We, more of an incentive to actually get together and create, you know, oh. like with this podcast or, you know, any kind of shorts or, well, you know, I kind of want to go and put a speaker on out in the park and dance. And know? also everything goes into something. You know what I mean? Like we've been doing this podcast for what, 20 some weeks now or something like that. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Um, 22 weeks. You know, I have a audition at the end of August for a talk show where they talk about movies. Like, you know what I mean? Oh like that's just that's like <laughs> yeah, karmaic yeah. you know what i mean and i'm prepared for that because we've been doing this now for 20 weeks <laughs> so you know like 100 everything goes into something yeah. you know this better be priority brand it's a sunday morning no, josh he's gonna and i closed behind. last he's night totally gonna it leave is us. clearly a priority you son of a bitch <laughs> He's gonna dump us the second he gets on Canadian TV. You know how, you know how long no, I've been I, I up. Appreciate it, Brandon, I know. Josh, I got up nice and early this morning to watch Tokyo Drifter. All right, I want to hear it. See what what's funny? What's funny is that you you keep waiting until the day of, and so we keep pushing it back. What are you talking you about? Know? I was hoping you would be planning. No, I plan always. <laughs> You'd be planning on going Friday no, morning. No, I always watch them in the morning before. Yeah. Oh right, that is that yeah. is the thing. Because remember, I'm it's remember fun. everything like way more. <laughs> yeah, we made a discovery. That's true. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, you're yeah. right. Like I have to watch it twice so I can I can take notes on the second time. Uh, yeah, I get and it. also Definitely. also it makes sure. Oh, I appreciate it, Brandon. It may, uh, thank you, but it also makes sure that I've been up for hours before the podcast and I've had multiple coffee, so I'm not a grumpy asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there there could be merit to an episode of us waking up five minutes before and just like. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. That, I don't know about not. that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just start fucking biting each other's Caleb's, heads off. Caleb's our, uh, Caleb's our gauge. He's our moderator. The last minute. We all clearly forgot. <laughs> <and> just <laughs> oh. That'd be a fun game if like every once in a while one of us didn't watch the movie and we saw how long it would take it would be, for the other two to figure it, it out. It would be immediate. <laughs> oh my God, it yeah. It would be immediate. 
Like also, it depends. I don't know. I don't know. We we do a really good job at like bouncing off each We're other in terms of you yeah. know if <laughs> Caleb is a really good source that he talks about things and we can easily bounce off of him and pretend that we me know that didn't watch it then what are we gonna do yeah then, then we're fucked i'm sorry <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh, anyway like five hours ago um wilford brimley died and i'm really kind of bummed about yeah. that he was the uh yeah i saw that diabetes guy but he was also in uh the thing which is like one of my favorite movies of all time and it was one of those people that it's like oh you were you were alive <laughs> I sure. assume he's been dead, but then I guess he was just—he just died. So that's you know, R.I.P. Yeah. Aw. No, it's a bummer. I don't know. It is interesting about these actors that you that you recognize, but you haven't—they haven't been active for the last like few years or a handful of years, and you know, it just always kind of takes you by surprise. You're like, oh shit, wait, oh, no. you know. Yeah, no, it's always like, wait, what happened? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Speaking of after this, I have to watch Beyonce's new uh, visual album on Disney Plus. Black is King, I think. It's, it's based oh on God. Disney. Or sorry, it's based on Lion King or something. Drop yeah. everything. As anytime Beyonce does anything, you have to drop well, what you're course. doing. And tune well, in. and then it's I the can law. I can watch it and be like, how the hell did you create a visual album during quarantine? Stay inside. How did that multimillionaire yeah, accomplish <laughs> that, Josh? A question How's for the like ages. House is like the size of the state, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, you're right. Well, speaking of visual albums, um, no, it actually is a good segue. So today sure. we watched Tokyo Drifter by Seijin Suzuki, 1966, like I mentioned, uh, R.I.P. He passed away in 2017, but he made this great kind of surrealistic, they say, kind of movie based on a pop song or it was formed around a pop song called Tokyo Drifter. What are your guys' thoughts? I have a lot of information. I watched the interviews on the Criterion collection. And so there's a lot of cool kind of production tidbits that I want. I'm going to be interjecting. But initial thoughts from you guys. Uh, I'm glad that you have lots of tidbits because I don't know that I fully understood everything that was going on. Because, you know, subtitles and mm-hmm. this is lazy. Yep. But uh, I loved and was annoyed by this whole... 10 meter gun shooting range thing that he had the whole time <laughs> uh so for the for the viewers the character uh-huh. in the movie um I, I mean he's a a gangster and then becomes like an ex-gangster uh and then he his like boss uh, who was like his guy before they were super tight like kind of turns on him and anyways he goes on like a whole, you know, awesome killing spree of dopeness. And but he ha- they all have these pistols. It's all handgun shooting. And every he keeps like saying how he can only his his uh, uh, range is 10 yards. So he has to like dive and duck and weave to get there. And then at 10 yards, he kills everybody. And it's like there's like it's like video game rules in a way. And I kind of love it. But at the beginning, I was like, what the hell is happening? So that's my rant. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. It wasn't what I was expecting going in. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. Um, I feel like, like I had a. It took me a while to get like invested. Um, I would say the first twenty five minutes to maybe even a half hour. Like the presentation is just so 
confusing <laughs> uh, to me. Agreed. It's very like I I found it very difficult to follow. Like I like you were saying, Brandon. Like I I got the gist of what was happening, where like this man is like a they're they're um, yakuza, but they're trying to become legitimate ex yakuza. But then there's a business deal, and then there's double crossing, and then there's triple crossing, <laughs> and then now so like at the end of the first act, now the guy is like I have to wander, yeah. and everybody's <laughs> like, no, you don't though. Like what? Like no. But he's like, no, but I I do. I have to. I must do this. <laughs> And his girlfriend's like, dude, like what? And he's like, I'm sorry, I cannot be with you. And it's it's it is kind of convoluted, but then like once he starts like getting into gunfights and fistfights and it, it it gets engaging and it becomes very fun and very interesting. But like I found the beginning to be and I even like I restarted it. I was like, maybe I missed something. Oh, um wow. but okay. I think it's like uh just it's very obtuse. <laughs> Um, and I, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why they made, uh, like, I think it's edited pretty poorly. I know it's like the 1960s and it's, and it's the Tokyo film system. There are some very sharp edits. Yeah. I'm trying to keep context in mind, but I found it very, I was like, oh God, is it going to be this the whole time? And then, you know, it, the movie starts like a half hour in and it becomes very entertaining and, you know. There, there is lots of stuff to appreciate, but I, I was kind of really thrown off by that beginning, uh, and it, and it was like, oh my god, I hope this isn't the whole well, thing. <laughs> oh sh- no, a hundred percent. And real quick, Brandon, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna like kind of clarify because I did the second time I watched it, I did write down exactly the situation because I was trying to figure out, okay, so what exactly is the the, the structure of this what is why are they fighting what is going on what's thing and so you know you have a businessman you know yoshi the whole thing is that like Yoshi. um thank you that karada is karada and tetsu who is um watari the lead actor the tokyo drifter they go straight and that's a big thing that they try and like drive home is that no we've gone straight we're not gangsters you know but they own a building and their lease is up and so they they right. owe like uh, three million yen is in Japanese currency. Yes, right? it is. It's very good. Um, and they have to get it in like three days, or that it's like a, a large amount, like some millions of yen. And so they're trying to work out a deal. And Tetsu is like the running, the, like the errand guy of uh, Karada, right? And so they have a thing, but all of a sudden there's like this third guy that comes in, Atsuka. With the sunglasses, which gave me a very like Resident Evil like Wesker vibe. If you guys notice, like the red jacket and the sunglasses, he's always like, ooh, you know, like one of my favorite moments that Ryan and I busted out laughing first time was when he enters the piano lounge where the, the his Tetsu's girlfriend is singing and he backhands the piano guy and he just like without even flinching backhands him and the guy goes <laughs> flying off screen. I thought that was a really funny. Anyway, so he goes in, he tries to actually you know, he kills Yoshi or whatever because he buys the building and then he uses that as leverage to kind of push Tetsu because the whole thing is like Tetsu the Phoenix, right? Don't don't get him mad because he's going to be a hurricane, you know, type of thing. Like, get him mad three times and he's going to, you know, blow up and go crazy. <laughs> but essentially, um, Otsuka pushes him out of town or like the Viper, Tatsu, which is really confusing because there's Tatsu and Tetsu. Tetsu's the blue jacket. 
Tatsu is the Viper. He's in the tan jacket. And they he has to leave Tokyo, like Caleb said. And then at some point in the movie, which is really weird, and the second time I was watching, it was like, why is this happening this late in the movie? There's also, he goes to a different town. I forget the name. But there's like the northern like kind of group and the south group or whatever. And there's and another guy. There's another yeah, I like guy that guy though. <laughs> called Shooting Star with the green jacket. Yeah, that who cool, used to be like who used to work for oh 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 stu- um Atsuka. Atsu- uh trying to say these names a lot so I can get him in my mouth. Mm. Um he but he was a drifter as well. He went off and did a solo career thing, but then Tetsu's like Oh, I don't trust you because you don't have any duty. You don't have any sense of duty, and it's just like, okay, buddy, get over yourself. But it's all kind of connected to, you know, Karada, who then again betrays him because of something. But then everything happens, and it all kind of quote unquote works out. But then he ends up walking into the darkness and being a drifter. So that, in a nutshell, if people could you know follow along a little bit, it does. I'm just trying to paint that kind of web that can be hard to get. If you're not paying attention, if you're not just sitting there reading the the subtitles to write well, everything down. I mean, I don't think it was an issue of, I mean, not paying attention. I think it is presented in a very, like, scattered way. Like, it is not clear. No, I <laughs> like, I think that they could have done. Yeah, like, Caleb, yeah. I agree 100% with what you're saying. Uh, I had no, like, not that I had no idea what was going on. I just, there was no way invested until, uh, I mean, half an hour, 40 minutes into that movie. Really, until he met the Green Jacket guy. Like, and then I was like, okay cool yeah so we're like we're starting a story now great <laughs> like things might happen uh also the beginning yeah. of the movie and again like that first like the black and white yeah part. what the fuck it looked so bad compared to the rest of the movie so one of the one of the uh one of the interviews <laughs> the director uh suzuki said yeah i just want to do something different okay that's Which, that's, that's like, fair that's then it. i like, like it that's all, like, then, then, I, then i like it you know <laughs> People try and analyze it like, oh, what does the red gun mean and things like that. And he's like, no, I just wanted to do something different because, mind you, a little backstory. So Tokyo Drifter, he worked for he was a contracted director for this um, production company where they just give him scripts and he's just he's contracted to direct whatever they give him. Right. And Tokyo Drifter was one of those these movies that was specifically used for Tetsu who's the lead actor. He was the, a big star back in, in the sixties in Japan. And this movie was supposed to be a vehicle for him to become famous. Was it? But after, yes, but after but, <laughs> exactly. And that's like, uh, there's like a 90, 1997 interview that Suzuki's like, yeah, I mean, did I ruin his career? Like, I don't know, but the studio did not like my movie. <laughs> they had to reshoot the ending. The, the original ending was supposed to be this like green moon rising to signify peace between Tetsu and whatever, and I think his uh, girlfriend. Sure. And but they didn't like that, so they had to refilm it to be like him standing in the white on the staircase, looking all like, you know, action starry. Yeah. You know? And it was a pop song. So then, then Tokyo Drifter, it's a pop song movie. So like it's essentially they use that song as like the like kind of like the the combining element to kind of keep you going through, which is kind of cool. The song's catchy as hell, in my opinion. Well, I liked uh, the two things that I really loved about this movie are the use of music and the use of color. And I will get into, I mean, color, I'm assuming at some point. But, you know, if we're on music right now, I kind of I liked that the movie was structured 
almost like a Bollywood film in a way. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bollywood at all. Um, I don't watch a ton of it, but like not just the fact that there are like musical numbers, but like the characters in in diegetically, like in the world of the film. Yeah. Sing as a part of their act. Like, like he would sing his, almost like his theme song every time he was like coming in to kick some ass. Yep. So I was like, it's like, this is like the anime's intro music, like coming in well, anytime yeah. there's a fight. And I thought that was like so fun. It felt very anime <laughs> all the way through, like, especially with like the gun thing and all that too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like you were saying like a video game almost, Brandon. I totally, I totally see how you got like there that. Were, I think, there like, were rules to their um, gunfights, not rules that were explained, but clear rules in that. Okay. Well, if he's this close to you, he's going <laughs> to shoot you in the face. But if he's, <laughs> 11 yeah. yards away every bullet that he shoots misses uh and everyone else can't shoot there, the shit. there were there were sure, there yeah. were rules that they just weren't the rules of physics yeah, yeah, yeah. that we know right. <laughs> which well, is which is fine because it's a movie and it and i thought all of that stuff was really entertaining totally but fine it is have also you seen like wanted because that's the entire plot and it's awesome you mean bullet bending yeah. or whatever the fuck they yeah, do it's sick all right did cool. you guys notice though it was but with the song though Real quick tidbit I told Caleb is that so the recording producers or the company with the record made the Watari sing it multiple times. They had to break up the song so that so that they did one phrase a lot and they took the best cut to put in the movie. So the guy like here's the thing about this this star system that j- j- the j- Japanese cinema had is that. You get this actor who's very popular and then he needs a movie to kind of get his career started. You know, he he gets this Tokyo Drifter, which is very, you know, very stylistically, you know, designed. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pop song. And so they used vibrant primary colors, which I love. I can't wait to get into it because um, I think that was probably one of the best parts of the movie. And the reason I got so excited in terms of filmmaking um, cause mind you, this movie had, because he wasn't a well-known director in the sixties, he did like 42 movies in 12, uh, no 42 movies in 12 years, I think kind of a thing. Cause they were just dishing it out that he only had a budget of like 20, 20 million yen, which the big time directors during that time got 40 million. And so they, and they only had 25 days to shoot three days to edit and video sound, whatever. And then after, that was like the system they had, right? But the problem and what you kind of got with the acting side of it in the if you see his performance is that every time he would say um, action, Watari would freeze. He couldn't say his line unless you like poked him. And so there's a lot of times where and it was he said it was very frustrating because he would be sitting in a chair. They had to have like an AD behind him. Like he says, hit him with a broomstick. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but because he would just freeze and he would he would clam up and he wouldn't say the lines. It was, it's just an interesting thing where we, we talked, bef- you know, at the beginning of the episode about these actors who who get these opportunities who are just like, oh, come on, you know, make a choice. But, you know, or I, I watched Hollywood on Netflix, the Ryan Murphy thing about um, these actors coming, these, these actors coming from the Midwest, going to L.A. and, re- you know, changing their name, getting an agent, being manufactured to be put into these movies so that they can become famous or whatever. And I just that dichotomy of like the craft and the love of creation versus like just a manufactured thing. Right. And so that's kind of how you got the kind of the genre and kind of surrealistic thing is that he finally was like, you know, I'm going to make my movie, but this actor kind of, you know, isn't the best. 
they say. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I wanted to touch on if something you just said, though. It was really interesting. The, uh, uh, the kind of factory system of actors back in the day. And, you know, I think that's part of the whole social media conversation or YouTube conversation or everything else in that, you know, that system obviously is not a thing anymore. Um, you right. know, there's certain things you can say like Disney or things like that, but that system doesn't work. You know, they all leave and half of the things go to hell. I mean, they're all incredibly talented, but even that, like, I don't know that that's so much of a thing anymore as compared to what it was. I mean, definitely not compared to what it was, but I mean, there are definitely like people at like the rock. I would okay, say but that's so, so but that's, hold on. that fits that. So mold. that's a hundred percent, but that's the point that I was going to make. And then exactly that. So now, right. He is the studio. You know what I mean? Like he's the studio guy and right, like, he produces most of what he right. does. Yeah. Well, but even that, like even before that, but he put himself in that position, right? The rock was looked at as a guy when he was first started acting. That was like not an actor was never going to, you know, really go into that only kind of do comedies and things like that now he's the highest paid actor in what hollywood you, what do you mean are you forgetting about the mummy three the scorpion king <laughs> but what i'm saying is he <laughs> i hate you so much you know <laughs> going through the wwe <laughs> being the rock being a personality like he is and then making that transition you know he did it for himself and he put out who yeah. he was which just seems so much more important these days than you know and it's just very different you know there's a difference between uh the rock kind of building his own brand and then like Judy Garland getting like addicted to heroin by like 13. Right. So yeah, for right, sure. Right, right. I mean, because that was the, there's the a studio systems back in the day where you sign these studio contracts. I mean, it's yeah. not a thing anymore from what I understand. Sign your, sign your yeah. life away. It's definitely different in some ways and, and similar in other ways. I, I totally see what yeah. you mean. But bringing it back to Tokyo Drifter, um, that's interesting because I would have thought that that guy, like for what they were going for, I feel like the actor was like, stoic and and i i think i feel like they made it work uh for this character but that's interesting to know that he was actually just like <laughs> terrifying <laughs> you know this guy who's like this supposed to be this right. badass killing machine is actually like petrified of like saying lines yeah well, that's kind of that's kind of wonderful in a way you like, know it's and it's, it makes me think of like yeah it's kind of what we train for at the studio like it's like when they say action you're on you're dropped in you can like go right yeah. You're ready before like, they, they you're, yeah, say. Yeah, you're ready before they say action. But yeah, what if like you, our first feature on like Disney or like for Warner Brothers, it's like, mm-hmm. are we going to be able to do it? That's the question. Well, that's we like, will, but there's that story. Know. There's the story of like when um, Daisy Ridley, it was like the first day of Star Wars and she was just from London, like had never really been in anything. And uh I guess like after her first take, JJ came over to her and was like, so that was like a little stiff. So we're just going to try to like, you know, loosen you up. And she started to like cry. Cause she was like, this is, I'm fucking up star Wars. Like this is my big break. You know what I mean? Like it happened, you know, it happens to people yeah. if they, if they're I not mean, like experienced. And now she's like going to work forever, you know, every actor uh, talk about that. And, and the fact, you know, everybody has imposter syndrome. It doesn't go away. Like you hear major, major, major actors constantly be like every yeah. first week of every movie I'm on, I think I'm going to get fired. You know, it's such a common thing. So, oh, and, yeah. And totally. then some people do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some, sometimes you actually do just suck <laughs> or you're an asshole or, yeah. or whatever. But Brandon, um, I want to I want to talk about your thought of um, it kind of almost looking like a video game, you know, minus. 
minus the uh, like every gun sounded like a right. phaser, like a pew pew pew. Like it was crazy. Like the gun effect, this gun sound effect or whatever they used for the sound effect was crazy. Almost looked well, like it was, it was a video also game, like, like a Star okay, Wars. So movie. Here's, okay, so the, the first thing that made me think about that was I think it's the second or third time that he talks about this you know, 10 yards range for his pistol. And it's when they're on the train tracks, right? And Tim and the other guy. Which is a great shot, he, by the way. I, I, it was really I thought cool, it was a really cool shot. When he, you know, he looks down and he sees a red line in the snow it's 10 yards red. in front of him. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I was like... <laughs> Well, that's but how he knows so then I was like, oh, okay. So now we're just, we're manifesting these rules in a real life, which I, again, I liked, but I was also like, what the fuck was that? But with the red line, I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. So that was confusing. I'm assuming it's because Tetsu, the actor, didn't really know how far to go. And so Suzuki's like, okay, Jesus Christ, we're going to paint the red line. We're going to use it. It's going to yeah, be a justified choice. Way, for sure. Just dive there. But uh, <laughs> but how far do I go? It's just like this director screaming in the background. Like, and then, but then there was move. all these scenes with him like standing in the middle of rooms surrounded by like 50 gunmen and jumping all around and diving all around. It is very, very um, almost static poses. Right? Like, it wasn't fluid at all. Like, you watch John mm-hmm. Wick and Keanu Reeves is ducking and weaving through people like it's real life and he's the best Marine in the world. Yeah. This is obviously... Yeah. It's, well, okay. Okay, but you know what I'm saying. Like, this is... You're gonna take, like... 1966, obviously, and way back. It's just, like, it's... It felt like a video game in that, like, every time he jumped or rolled, like, it felt like a move that you pressed. Like, every everything looked the same in that way. And not, it's not bad. It's sure. just like, okay. Yeah. And the NPCs all stand there and waiting for you to and like. And then you have like six moves. You have dive forward, you have roll, you have rolled left, you have like, you know. Stunt uh stunt choreography and fight choreography has certainly come a long way since yeah. 1966 yeah. Japan. Um Yeah, I don't know. It visually it was very interesting. Uh the use of color is I think something that like everybody talks about when you talk about this movie like you have yeah to can talk we talk color. can we talk about it i think what was yeah. one of your what were the i can i know for me one of the the better moments in my opinion um that i first experienced the whole like use of color and be like oh that was really cool what was one of yours well just go you go first oh well you were talking i didn't want to anyway we're so, already here okay we're, we're here <laughs> so there's a shot so with the, like the, the the shots of the movie there are a lot of very um there were some overhead shots that were kind of cool and some very straight on very square i don't know how you would say it symmetrical shots so especially when he's like walking in the snow right mm-hmm. and like there's these wide shots of him in the snow and the pathway and the red red uh the red phone booth the red lantern these really cool like contrasts but for me there was one of the buildings they were in when the one of the the secretary or whoever gets shot and then her lover gets shot and then they go into this whole like murder mystery or lover oh my suicide. God, that woman. She was like, Can I, we talk I, about her. I think really I wrote. Quickly? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I wrote down, girl, what is so funny? <laughs> I want to read that book. <laughs> because she fucking loved it. I thought that she was yeah. the girlfriend. No, was she wasn't like, the singer. Oh, she's yeah. so annoying. I can't believe we have to fucking follow her through the whole movie. And then she just gets shot in the chest. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then, you know, the girl, the actual girlfriend who's like really good at singing. And then that's like a cool little music thing that ties in where she was reading a comic book or a manga and it was whatever the fuck was going on in that comic dude she was could not get enough 
And you, it's like one of those things that you can tell, like the director was like, laugh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she's like, ah, ha, 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 And then that guy just fucking shot her. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And, and that's kind of, you know, this is in the beginning where I'm like, I'm not invested at all. Sure. So I'm yeah. like, Josh, what the fuck are you making me watch? And then, you know, I would, I would agree like that, that shot of them double, you're talking about the double murder, right? Yeah, but before um, that, there's there's a white scrim or a psych or whatever with like half. It's like halfway red, right? And that was when I think the woman yeah. dies. It's half red, mm. and then when the guy gets shot, it's full red. And as soon as either when the scene's over or something happens, it goes right to white, very yeah. quick change to white. And I felt like I was like, oh, that is so cool, and it leads back to like the the club. Right. Or like their use of a minimalistic set, a very sparse set for them. It's like they didn't have the budget to do a full set. So what they chose to do was clean, simple kind of designs like the doorway or the archways and then just white psych or backdrops where they can project light onto. So they're in the club. It's going to be yellow. Right. There's a moment at the end with Karada and Otsuka, you know, that they're waiting for they're making the girl sing right and there's a hot, there's like a really tight spotlight on her everything else is black and there's just a red on the statue you guys notice the statue with the donut or whatever the holding to some sort of <laughs> circular thing was red you know it, it, a lot of things like that i felt really made it for me and i can understand why directors filmmakers you know decades later would look at this film and be like oh this is really cool i'm gonna yeah. kind of stylistically right production yeah. design wise you know i mean it definitely has its own visual identity. And I think that's helps it a lot for sure. There are moments where I'm like, this is a set I'm, I'm watching a set and that's kind of distracting, but you know, there are other moments like I would, you know, again, as the movie goes on, I don't know if it's that I, I just bought into it more, but the like, not the club in the beginning, but like the other, I don't know if it's still, would you call it a club one? Like the other, music place that he yeah. goes to the, the strip club. Oh, the saloon, the saloon. Like Thank the you. The saloon, saloon with yeah. the Americans, like that whole sequence was great. And it looked very like when they're yeah. bashing up the place and there's that like big, like mega fight scene, all of that stuff was really looked great. And, and, you know, the colors and the fact that like the coordination with like the soldiers or the sailors or whatever, with those women who were <laughs> really funny. Um, it reminded me of the house of blue leaves, like from kill bill. Like I got like, really strong vibes like from that like when you know uma thurman's in japan like that segment yeah. it reminded me of that a lot in like a good way um i love his suit uh the baby yeah, blue, like the robin's egg blue almost yeah like he the definitely had the suit. blue theme going on you know in his room too um yeah just i mean uh <laughs> anytime he was fighting people and you could tell he wasn't really hitting them, but they were, it's, you know, it's cheesy, but, but it's, it's also like very, you know, fun. Like, I don't, I don't know if we're meant to take it a hundred percent seriously. And there are moments that we clearly are like when the, his girlfriend's like getting, you know, they, they use like being forced to sing as like a very clear metaphor for sexual yeah. violence, sure. which yeah. was very uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, she did great. Like whenever she was singing those songs, I, I really felt, I just wish that I, cared more like i wish that there was a way in for me sooner like i feel like there isn't really a way into the story because these characters are so broad 
yeah like one dimensional yeah and and i felt yeah. like i i had a really hard time connecting with anything because i don't really know like we're told a lot we're told about the relationship between like the main character and his mentor you know he's they literally say it's like you have been like a father to me well, you know what i mean like also- it's, it's very like we got to get all the exercise. He also seems only yeah. slightly yeah. unamused the whole time. You know, like I remember back to John Wick again and they kill yeah. John Wick's dog and he loses his mind. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's go kill some people with John Wick. Dope. This guy like leaves and they take his girlfriend and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, no, he's totally going to kill you. And he's like, nah, I don't believe you. I'm just going to wander. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah. so why do I care? Well, that's another thing. Is why they- do I care? <laughs> That's another thing. Yeah. They always are like, you know, you got to watch out because he's like the Phoenix. He's going to. But he yeah, he just seems very like <laughs> yeah. over it. Like he's very disaffected, which maybe is a part of his character because he wants to walk away. But I, I, I feel like it, it was just like it. I don't know. I, I need I need a story. I'm a story person. And I, I just felt like this was really like. Well, even with the like the, the pseudo climax, right, where he goes back to the piano, like the original place and you have the whole thing where he's you know, face to face with Karata and he, you know, he's fighting the bad guy and stuff. And there's a moment, one of the my funniest women, he like throws the uh, gun yeah, up and does like yeah, a cartwheel yeah. or whatever and then yeah. catches his own gun to shoot the guy. You know, I'd like to think that's where, you know, everybody, James Bond got his little walk and then shoot, but. Or like the Matrix, like I, I, the I Matrix, can tell yeah. that the people from the Matrix took some inspiration from this. Um, and I think that's kind of why I, I requested it was because you can, there's, itself as a movie you know it's it's not great it's very surface it's very much like we said before a vehicle for a certain person like it was right. created for this guy this guy obviously probably wasn't the best actor or whatever but japan people loved him so that they were like let's get a movie for him and i think that shows in was terms he a of singer like, first or that i don't know i just know he did sing the song but i don't know if the song was written and they made a movie but if you're it. saying that like People in Japan loved him, so he wanted his own movie. Like he might, but then he might have been a, a pop star. But then I don't understand why the director mentioned well, that it took so him bad. so many times <laughs> to sing the song. Um, you know, I, I think the I... song was written for the movie. Yeah, and they needed him to sing it. They felt like it, that he should be the one singing it. So I think he did. Again, I think I you think know? that whole element yeah. of it's cool. Like you know how these people are like, is who's who's whistling? Who's whistling? And he's like, me, motherfucker, and just like shoots him. Like that's cool. Like um, after the saloon, when he's like laying on the ground, he's like, is he dead? Nope, he just starts whistling. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> and that's, that's how you fun. know it's it's fun. And I I don't think this. I wouldn't go as far as to say this is bad. I just feel like, um, for me, I really wanted. A way in, and I feel like I didn't get that until yeah. a half hour into the movie, and and I think there is a lot of potential with this story. Like Japanese uh, media in general, but specifically this era, uh, deals so much with this idea of honor and like and what that means in kind of reconciling, you know, old Japan with this like new post-war quote unquote modern Japan. And you can tell that that's a big part of yeah. of the drifter, of Tetsu's character, is he cares about honor and duty and and doing the right thing to the to the point where it, it's a detriment to himself. You know, he's yeah, he's frustrated with the, the way things are changing, and he wants to go legit, and then he nobody will let him. And 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 there is compelling stuff there at, at the meat of it, but 
it's just presented in such an inaccessible way. And then when the story does get going, they kind of lose sight of that in favor of doing all of this like silly action stuff, which is entertaining for sure. But right. I, I think that if they had found a way to marry those two elements of it, it would have, it would have yeah, worked a lot more uh, for me a, personally. hundred percent. And I think uh, kind of what Josh was leading to before is that what is important about this movie is is exactly like you're saying there's so much that can come from it and that did come from it you know um like the the archetype of that character uh the just general linear story you know of this whole gangster thing like we've seen so many of these movies so it is definitely you know had its impact and but it's i'm assuming it's you know like the the first one kind of of that you know genre or type of movie or at least of the archetype of the character so yeah, I, it's it's interesting to see you know all these years later a, a movie like John Wick, which is virtually the same plot just expanded upon, and now we have three of them, and they're dope. <laughs> which well, yeah, is funny I, because Keanu Reeves himself is kind of like a brand. Yeah, so that fits his like in, style of yeah that, acts, that fits yeah. into like that whole thing as well, where like that was his like comeback. Like he was, he was doing nothing for a decade and then he did John Wick and now he's fucking everywhere. Like he's in Toy Story. He's the man. He's in video games. He's in like, everybody loves him. And I, you know, and he's, and uh, it's just so interesting. Um, I'm just reading a couple of things. So I mentioned before that the director, uh, Seijin Suzuki directed 42 films in 13 in 12 years with these studios. A lot of them, like the second tier build movie for these double features and he said that he it's a lot for just entertainment right he really loved westerns he didn't necessarily take inspiration from them in terms of creating like let's say tokyo drifter but there are some elements in terms of like entertainment purposes right like we're talking about how it was just kind of fun and goofy and like some things were ridiculous but you know he gets a lot of these scripts that are just entertainment so he's like my job is to make it fun i'm not i usually change some something in the script because it's not they're not good scripts but well, how can I make this as a director? Because I have to make this. Oh, let's do right. some, you know, colors and some young, you know, and just make it fun because why not? Um, he was also blacklisted for 10 years after <laughs> this, like after 67, I think, when he did Branded to Kill, which is one of his other really famous movies. Um, 10 years. <laughs> and then he, he did a couple things after late in the century. But well, what happened? Why was he blacklisted? I think it was. Probably uh, it's contentious between the the production company. I don't remember what it was, but because he, it was some. I have to it's, do some research. It sounds like a contract thing. On that. It sounds like they had him under contract. He did not. It's a contract thing. Yeah, he did not. They did not like him at all in his movies. Damn, um, that's tough. But the consequence of that, though, he did say that you don't see a lot. The reason Japanese cinema, we had, you know, in the nineties, this was the interview in the nineties. But like when you haven't seen, like the content coming out of Japan like it used to is because a lot of these directors were contract directors or they, they were hired as ADs or production assistants or whatever, who wanted to be these, like there was three major names. I forget, I forget who they were, but who were doing like the big budget films. They never, there was not a culture of like teaching the younger directors or showing them, you know, how to, how to carry mm-hmm. on the, the culture of Japanese cinema that there, there was this, almost this fear, like they weren't approachable enough for this this challenge, right? They'd say, oh, Suzuki, you want to challenge so-and-so? He's like, well, no, I don't really want to challenge him. I just want to, you know, get to know how he does things. But there's this competitiveness, right? 
and they did they lost the drive to like be competitive to like push that envelope because there wasn't this you know culture to do so and so i find that very interesting and in the sense of like we, we saw house we saw you know decade earlier Shotoko oh, drifter so. and it's like these like big kind of cool cult right. classic type movies um and then all of a sudden like a just kind of a drought in the you know well it's just funny because like at the same time all this stuff's getting made you have people like kurosawa or ozu that are like defining cinema yeah. So that's happening and existing, but that, like you were saying, that's the very top level. Like, those are the guys. And then for other people, I can see why it would be difficult to find a place. Like, they're making the art, right? So the studios are like, but we also want to, you know, that discrepancy between art and entertainment. Yeah. Um. So they're like, yeah, we'll just have everybody else make money for us so that Kurosawa and Ozu can create like masterpieces. Right. So yeah. I can see how that would be frustrating if like you watched like Akira Kurosawa or Yasujiro Ozu and you're like, I want to do that. And then like you like work and this is like your dream. And then the studio is like, well, no, you're making Tokyo Drifter and fucking <laughs> house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like to still be able to put your own spin on that, I think is is like, you know, I love house. Like I we have our disagreements on it, of course. But I think, you know, it is just like a very creative expression um, artistically, and I, and I think there's elements of that in Tokyo yeah, Drifter as well. I just think the time, I, of it, you know, yeah. the year that it's made is it's so on the cusp of, of everything changing, and uh, you know that I think that's why it doesn't hold up as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know. Like, there are definitely films from the '60s that I think hold up. I think like you know the time, the like period isn't yeah. always like an excuse. Like there's this movie is some pretty bad editing, dude. <laughs> well, it's like the whole thing. There's one scene that pops out is he's like in the car. He's like the driver of this car. And then there's all this like burnout type of stuff. And like yeah. this like gravel yard. And all of a sudden it cuts to yeah. them at the that arcade, you know, and she goes, hey, you want to come up for some tea? And he's like, no, and I was yeah. like, dude, she's offering herself to you. <laughs> yeah, she wants to <laughs> fuck. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I she's a wander. I've gone straight. And that was the other thing, dude. At, at the end, it's like, again, I understand you're thematically what you're doing, but like, yeah. she's like, bro, like, can we like, please? Yeah, he, she came all the way to find him, and he's yeah, like, nah. no, oh yeah, on the train, yeah, yeah and, I, I can't have these hoes weighing me down, and like, yeah, they, you know? and, and that's the only reason that he gives. Like, there's no practical reason. She's like, nope, I have to wander. Yeah. He's like women slow. And it's just like, what? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. what the fuck? And I, that, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm going through my notes. So there's this one of the times that he's singing, he's walking in the snow. I think it was towards the end when he's um with the South group, Southern group and the Northern group, whatever fighting. And he has to like kind of get in between that. And he gets pulled back in. Right. He's walking on this like snow cliff kind of pathway and it was snowing. And the way they shot it totally reminded me of Bolin and Cora when he's a movie star and he has to yeah. like oh, yeah. in the yeah. snow and he's, I, I forget what his movie star name is, but I thought it was just no. so funny. I kind of chuckled just kind of throwbacks to kind of how, you know, we talked about Cora, the legend of Cora and how they very stylistically in like the twenties, thirties kind of with the radio announcer and with these kind of, what we were talking about these like producers yeah. that make these movies, like you're going to be a star, but just do everything I say. I feel that. What do you guys think in uh, ratings? Um, real quick, uh, before we do that, one last little thing I wanted to get on air is with the low budget, they didn't rehearse <laughs> anything. Even the choreography? So it, really? 
for this? I'm sh- yeah, they said they had no rehearsals. They didn't have time. That's hilarious. They had so, no time. But, so but, my interesting too? thing with the saloon. Right. Well, I mean, I'm sure depending on, I'm sure they kind of managed time where if some, one scene was shooting or whatever, right. they would be rehearsed, like they would do their own thing. But there wasn't like, we're going to shoot this scene today, so we're going to do a couple of runs, rehearse it, and then go. You know, it's like that saloon scene with like the fucking platform falling down and somebody falling off a table, which I think is actually, a, you know, was accidental because the way he fell, it was really funny. You know, but it's like these, it's like there was some sort of like framework. I'm sure they set it up and like talked about it. But right. in terms of actually rehearsing and doing the thing, I don't, they said they didn't rehearse. So I find that right. very interesting, especially in that huge group fight scene. Yeah, because that saloon, I, I, you know, I'm, I would be shocked if there was no preparation for that. Yeah. Uh, because that seems like it took a lot of coordination. I would no. be. Well, I don't know. I'm so, sure that they maybe didn't rehearse like the dialogue scenes or whatever, but they there's no way you can do that without a couple run throughs. <laughs> I don't know. We all the there. slaps. <laughs> Those he also great. Suzuki also mentioned he doesn't like storyboarding because then he doesn't he doesn't want to let the actors or the any the crew know what's going to happen next. He likes the spontaneity of it. Well, some of those shots Which, were really well you know, yeah. composed, so that's interesting that he didn't storyboard. What a what an odd little movie! Yeah, so many I little thought, things. Yeah, it's so quirky. I thought it was a nice little pick from the barrel. You know. Yeah, there's a lot to like about it for sure. Um, I just, you know, what? Just what? <laughs> yeah. That that lady. I want to read that. I want to read that comic book. I'm gonna track that down. Oh my god! Because it it was fucking hysterical. <laughs> She has having the time of her life. All right, when you find it, bring it on, and we'll read. You I know, will. if you can pause the movie and see what. Yes, what it I'll is. do. I'll do research. Oh, um, sorry, I don't, Caleb. I don't know why this yeah. just reminded me of this real quick. And if if this isn't a thing that I'm, I think it's got to be fine. But I just saw a call for uh, a JoJo's uh, whatever show, a live action one for Netflix. They're doing. They're doing JoJo's for Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So it's very yeah. interesting. Have you have either of you seen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? No. no, we talked about it a bit, but yeah, it's uh, but so they're doing yeah live action, so wow, that's I don't know, I don't know how I feel about all that stuff. I yeah, think like I, there's know. this there's this weird like attitude that people have that like you need to like legitimize a story and like an animated thing by like. You know, but we're gonna remake it in live action so it's like real or like so it's like what it's like no dude like animation's its own medium and like yeah. there are certain stories and things you can uh, only do there. I don't know that that's absolutely. the attitude. I think it's Netflix just being like, let's buy all the source material. We're gonna make everything. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, you just buy the rights and then like broadcast it. I'm like, sure. I, but I mean, I'm sure that they'll. There's no way they're making a live action. They didn't buy the rights to the if, cartoon. If that, right? if if that the wasn't, no if that way. wasn't the attitude, then like there, people wouldn't watch the Disney stuff that they do. Like people wouldn't have watched the Death Note thing. People wouldn't have watched like any time they try to do like the Avatar thing. It's like we're gonna make it like a movie, and it's like it already yeah. is like perfectly fine how it exists. I don't understand why people are like. You know, but it's it's live action. It's like, so what? <laughs> Who cares? It's already perfect. Yeah. You're gonna ruin it. And they always have. None of it never ever turns out well. It has never one time worked. And that's what is so funny to me about it. I um, can't think of yeah. one time where it's turned out good. <laughs> no. Uh sorry that Shall I don't boys? need to get us off track. But yeah, I thought that would be interesting. No, it's news. Okay. 
That is very interesting. Yeah. I look forward to hearing more about it uh, when it gets closer. Yeah. Um, Great. <laughs> cool. Uh, who wants to go first on the rating of Tokyo Drift? It's your movie, baby. Uh Great. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Damn. Um, Damn. I thought I my my leaning, my reasoning is more towards the the movie making as we talk more about actually creating our own stuff and low budget and being creative with what you have. I thought mm-hmm. it was it was well done, you know, yeah. including, you know, adding the music and things like that. So I'm I'm going to be bold and say the 4.5. It's, it's the highest honor you can bestow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I, waiting. Uh, Once we do the Dark Knight, I'll give it a five. I'm just kidding. Ooh, <laughs> nice. I want to do that. Uh, I uh, I'm gonna give it a three. Um, you know, I definitely appreciate how where it fits into cinema's history. Um, you know, I appreciate what they did in the movie. It's just you know, uh, really what Caleb said about the first thirty minutes is is very much my main concern as well. But it was entertaining. It's fun. I like the video game rules uh, in <laughs> shooting. So yeah, I'm gonna give it a three. Cool. Um. I gave it I gave it a 3.5 after I watched it. I'll I'll stick with the 3.5. I think there's enough there that I that I like can appreciate about it. I'm sure if I watched it again I would I would like it more. But that it is a it is a tough first half hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you I this before the second time I watched I did watch the interviews which is available on the Criterion collection and that the reason why I wanted to bring a lot of that stuff up is because I do think it kind of informs and shapes kind of like, oh, okay, now I get, all right, that makes sense. And that's, and that's great. But like, I, I, that it should be like, that kind of stuff should be supplemental. Like I shouldn't need interviews sure. right. to like, get it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But I, I agree. Like, I mean, like it's when we were talking about white material, like when you get that extra context, it adds to the already, what I thought was a great experience. But if it's something right. like where you need that stuff to like have a good experience, and that's just me, course, you clearly yeah. got a lot more. And I'm I'm stoked that you got a lot out of it. But it's like, I looking forward to the next one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Are you speaking of next oh, one? Right. We have a <laughs> I forgot very, what the next one was. The next one we have a very very special episode of Three M Affairs podcast. We are doing <laughs> Tokyo Drift. <laughs> the third movie in the Fast and Furious series. And we have a special guest, Marlon Kahihe, a actor, uh, MFA holder from the actor's studio, uh, will be on to talk about what is definitely one of his top favorite movies. I think that's a safe thing to say. Favorite yeah. franchise, absolutely. 100%. He's the best. We are very excited for you guys to hear him talk. Uh, he's the man. We're very excited to have him. And uh, yeah, that'll be next week. Tokyo Drift. Tune in. I can't wait. Remember to, if you like what you're hearing, you know, subscribe, like, share with your friends. Um, you know, three guys just goofing around, having love talking about movies and the craft. So keep listening. Uh, you can follow me at stir underscore Joshua and on Instagram and Facebook, Joshua Stir. Uh, Dream Affairs podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music or Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. <laughs> And some Spanish website we now found out. Um, so, <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> uh, plug. yeah, you uh, should be able to find Three Affairs podcast anywhere that you can find a podcast. Um, you can also yep. go directly to our uh, RSS feed. Uh, yeah, follow Brandon. Oh yeah, follow me on Instagram at Brandon Com McPherson, and you know anywhere else you'll find me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming we'll have links to all of our socials somewhere. Yeah. Find me 
on Letterboxd at CJC ASDS can watch my YouTube. There's another another YouTube video in the in the in the that's cooking in the oven right now that I think will be really fun. Did you ever watch the other one, Brandon? No, just because my week got crazy. I got to get them all up for you, too. But I'm definitely going to make yeah, a response yeah, yeah. video when I do. So I'm waiting. That's what I'm saying. I'm waiting for your response. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for 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 that. Um, get there. OK, well, that's it for now <laughs> for me. Awesome. Well, Brandon, you want to sign us off? All right, guys. Thank you. Wait, for why listening Brandon? To... Me? This is, this is my book. Yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry brandon you can sign us off next week i'm gonna sign us off oh my gosh thank you for listening to freedom affairs charge daddy chill <laughs> thank you for listening to, to us three hemispheres podcast hope you enjoyed and tune in next week for fast and furious tokyo drift <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>